I believe the Lord um, has given me the gift of evangelism. And one of the things that comes along with that is um, a heightened sense of the reality of hell and of the destiny of the damned. Um, when I look at people now, I almost immediately think about where they're going to go when they die, you know, and it gives me a compassion for them. And so um, I believe this passage teaches us many things, but one of them is um, the importance of knowing where you're going when you die. Um, and um, one of the things I like to do is actually to read some of the gravestones in, in the area, especially here in the Northeast, because they have wonderful messages on them. And I'd like to share one um, from one which I had seen. Did I leave my phone over there? Oh, my goodness. Oh, wait, where is it? Oh, thank you, guys. <laughs> um, so this is called a hymn, but I, I think it's more of a poem. I've never heard it sung. It was written by Arthur H. Mann, who lived from 1850 to 1929, and I believe he was a, a Methodist minister. But um, it struck me when I saw the first stanza of this poem on a gravestone, and I looked up and read the rest of it, and I think it's worth for all of us to hear. So I'll start reading it. It says, Vain man, thy fond pursuits forbear. Repent, thine end is nigh. Death at its farthest can't be far. O think before thou die. Reflect, thou hast a soul to save. Thy sins, how high they mount. What are thy hopes beyond the grave? How stands that dark account? Death enters and there's no defense. His time there's none can tell. He'll in a moment call thee hence, to heaven or to hell. Thy flesh, perhaps thy greatest care, shall crawling worms consume. But ah, destruction stops not there. Sin kills beyond the tomb. Today the gospel calls, today. Sinners, it speaks to you. Let everyone forsake his way, and mercy will ensue. Rich mercy, dearly bought with blood, how vile so e'er he be. Abundant pardon, peace with God, all given entirely free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, some have lived and died without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And we, we praise you that we have heard the name of Jesus. And we've heard the message. Thank you for that opportunity. Lord, soften any of our hearts who have not believed the message and have been saved, Lord. Bless the preaching today. Open our hearts and our ears to receive your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm aware of the time. And uh, bear with me. We've had a wonderful worship service thus far. And may the Lord bless his word even further to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 reads like this. Can we get the next slide up? A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. I'm going to stop and pause for a moment there and talk about the name, a name, your name. What does your name resonate? When your name is mentioned, what do people think about your name? A good name is better than 
precious ointment. Precious ointment was precious. It was costly. It was expensive. It meant a lot. So a good name is very, very important. I want you to look at the next slide and look at some of these names and tell me, I don't want you to tell me, but I just want you to think quickly about these persons. Bob Kraft. Everybody know who he is? The owner of the Boston Patriots, right? Or New England Patriots. Um, What sticks out in your mind? Something probably that he did in recent days that probably will mock him the rest of his life. How about Richard Nixon? What comes to your mind? Watergate. Maybe everything else that he did that was so um, so profitable and so outstanding is kind of washed away with the Watergate scandal. How about Ravi Zacharias? That one hurts, doesn't it? Uh, and I don't even want to go into any details on that one. You can look them up if you want to. I wouldn't even recommend that. Bill Clinton. Again, I'm sure you're thinking of something that I'm thinking of. Barry Bonds, some of you non-sports people don't know much about this guy, but he hit more home runs than Babe Ruth did by far, and yet his name is tainted because he took performance-enhancing drugs, sort of like a steroid, to give him more uh, athletic ability. So whenever his name comes up, as outstanding of a player he was for many years, but for a short time... He messed up and took some performance-enhancing drugs that has affected him. To this day, he's mocked by it. We'll never get into the Hall of Fame, likely, even though he's the home run king. A lot of those home runs have been discredited because for a short time, how long was it, Brian, a year or two years that he took those drugs? Do you have any idea? I think it was not even... Huh? Was it a long time? Okay, well, he... Some of these guys have just taken it for a brief time and they've earned, unfortunately, a bad name. The last one, of course, King David. And some people will pick on King David. Someone said that it's like you put up a big white sheet. That's the life of David. But then you have one black spot on it. And guess what everybody thinks about? Not the white pot, all that, but just that black spot. You know, it takes a lifetime sometimes to gain a good reputation, but it only takes a moment to ruin it. It tells us in Proverbs 21.1, that's a pretty close parallel passage to what we have here. It says that a good name is better than great riches. A good name. Now, if I was to put your name up there, and, and my name, and all of our names... What would be thought of of our name? What kind of a reputation? What kind of a name do we have? Now, let's be Christian-like in our thinking, of course, and realize that there's no one that lives that doesn't sin. Even Christians, we have messed up. We have some blotches on our past. We have some errors in our history that we hang our heads in shame and I say, boy, I wish I never went that way. I wish I never did what I did. And praise God, as Christians, we can have forgiveness. We can forget the past. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I look forward to the things that are before. And sometimes it's vital for us as believers that maybe have messed up and have kind of botched our names and reputation that we need to put them before the Lord. 
I forget who I was talking to this week, and I'm glad I forgot who it was. It might have been someone in this room who was just saying how difficult it was for them to get over what was done, that they had done something at some time. I says, brother or sister, whoever it was, I said, we got to remember that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to think like God thinks about your own thoughts and have yours to be His. So if He's willing to forgive you, if He's willing to put away that past, so ought you to be able to do the same. And if you're unwilling to forgive yourself when you know God says in His Word that He's forgiven you, then in essence you're calling God a liar and you are portraying a false humility that is really dishonoring to the Lord. We've got to learn that lesson. Let's go on in the verse. Can we go back one, one slide? In the day of death, then the day of birth. It's kind of a tough sentence, isn't it? Which we come across these kinds of things, don't we, in the book of Ecclesiastes. A day of someone's death is better than the day of someone's birth. Now that, you have to keep in mind, follows the verse that says, a good name is better than precious ointment. So for one to have tarnished their name, they might prefer to die rather than to live. Sometimes Christians even can die in bitterness, can die discontent, unhappy, maybe even miserable. Not the best way to die I hope that we can go out of this world with joy and peace in our soul, that we can rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We want to have that cheerfulness and that joy that the Lord wants to bestow upon us. So a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. We have these betters, betters, betters throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. I believe there's 21 references to better or better thans in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me give you a couple of examples of them. And if we can go to... Uh, well, before we do that, I want to say one thing more, too, about... Uh, go, go to the next slide, could you, Justin? This is Titus 2.7. In everything, set them an example. That's we need to set an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity seriousness and soundness of speech and that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. That's a wonderful way of holding a good testimony. Being an example by what you do and being an example by what you say. Having that integrity, that seriousness, that soundness of speech that what cannot be condemned so that we don't have to be reproached for our sin. It's, we, we should be willing and glad to be reproached for the name of Christ. To follow Him is worth everything. We can lose our own reputation if we're gaining Christ's reputation. We are all His children. It says in the book of James that they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called. I love that verse. Your name is really the name of Christ on you. They blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called. 
They didn't call them by their own personal names. They simply called them Christians, Christians, Christ followers, Jesus followers, Nazarenes, the way people. That's a wonderful way to, to, to recognize our identity, that it's in Jesus Christ. And what a name to be representing in this world. If we'd only realize that, that we're representing Christ, that's the name that we want to uphold. And if not, it would be better for us to die than to live. That's the attitude we should have. If I'm going to bring dishonor on the Lord, Lord, let me die before I do that. Because His name is so worthy to be extolled and to be glorified. And we can do that in our own lives and in our own body before the Lord. Okay, next slide. Trying to move along a little quicker maybe than usual. Here it is, verse 2 to 4. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of mankind. And the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness, the face, the sadness of face, the heart is made better. For the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Notice that contrast again. Mourning, laughing. We have these contrasts in the book of Ecclesiastes of death and life, anger and laughter, mourning and pleasure, rebuke and song. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to mourn. You get these contrasts of seasons in our lives. There are times where we should be dancing, we should be happy, we should be joyful. But there are also times, as we find in the Scriptures, where it tells us in James 4, verse 9, if you can go to the next slide, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's James 4, 9. I think this is a side of Christianity that we sometimes forget. A time to be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There needs to be that side of our Christianity, of our face of Christ to the world, that it's not just all fun and games. In the New Living Translation, I love the way it uh, translates this passage about its... Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Better to spend your time at funerals. Can you imagine trying to preach that on the streets? Hey, you need to get to a funeral. Forget the laughter and the party time. You need to get to a funeral home. Man, that wouldn't go over too, too well, would it? But at the same time, the Word of God tells us it's better to go to a funeral home, better to go to the place of mourning than it would be to go to the place of feasting, a place of frivolity and laughter. The laughter of fools, it says, is like the crackling of thorns under a fire. It doesn't last. It's not going to build you up. It's not going to help you. Know what would be good for us sometime? Can I get the next slide? Have you ever visited a cemetery? Not for a burial, but after maybe a family member's burial or just in general. I have a brother-in-law who before he preaches, he, he goes and prepares his sermon in the cemetery. 
because it reminds him of eternity, and I appreciate that. It reminds him of, reminds him of things that are long-lasting, not things that are temporary. It might not be a bad idea for us to visit a cemetery from time to time. And I'm not trying to promote morbidity. I'm not trying to make our life sadness. But the scripture says there's something in gloom that is better for the heart. To be mournful rather than to be always cheerful and joyful. That's the balance I think that we sometimes miss in Christianity And here's a wonderful portion that brings out that other side of what the virtues should be found in a child of God. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Yes, visiting a cemetery could make a difference. When you think of it, these are actually every stone I try to think of. If these stones could cry out, What would they be saying to us who are living? They are people like you and I. Yes, they roamed the earth at one time, but they could, in a sense, be looking at us and saying, As I am now, so shalt thou be. Prepare thou for eternity. As I am now, so thou shalt be. Those tombstones, gravestones, can speak to us. Because one of the best things that we can be profited by is to be reminded about the day of our death. That life is short, death is sure, sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. Life is short, isn't it? You never know what a day may bring forth. A king today can be a corpse tomorrow. It's amazing how, and I think God created us this way too, that we don't get so occupied with death that we're in a constant state of grief and mourning and gloom, somehow he allows our minds and hearts to be able to compartmentalize. It's like if you know you've got an upcoming doctor's appointment or you have something down the road that you don't desire to have, but it's six months away. You can put that kind of behind you. We can tuck it away somehow in your brain and it doesn't really gnaw at you. But then as you get closer and closer and closer, now the seriousness of what you have ahead has finally arrived and now the facts are going to come to the surface and they may not be as good as you wish them to be. Because I think we have built within us the desire to live. But you know, when we turn to the Scriptures... As Jesus said, he's the resurrection and the life. And even if we die, we don't die. We still live. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. And he that dies and believes in me shall continue living. Eternity is an important point. The heart is wise in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for man, verse 5 says, to hear the rebuke of the wise and to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools, so also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. The heart is, as it says, out of the issues of the heart. How's that verse go? Uh, um, Out of the, what's that? 
They, well, that's another one, but I'm thinking of Proverbs chapter 4. Out of the abundant... Uh, there it is. Out of the, uh, out of the heart of, uh, flows the issues of life. That's the fountain that flows within us and out of us that dictates so much about where we are at. So it's very important that we keep our heart in a way that's at comfort, at peace, and at communion with God. The world and the devil behind it, and this is his playground, we've got to always remember that, that he's a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them at all, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So even as Christians, we can be blinded by the onslaught of the devil who can put things in our way. As Christians, we're his number one enemies. He's not after the unsaved. He's already got them where he wants them. It's the Christians that he wants to trip up. Those that are saying, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christ believer. The devil wants to mess us up so that the unconverted will, as it says, the wicked look upon the righteous that they may find fault in them. They bend their bow, it says. The wicked bend their bow in a string that they might shoot at the upright in heart. But to have a good reputation, to have a good name is a big, big thing in the eyes of the Lord because of who we're representing. It's not my own personal name, who I am, but it's the name that's above me, the name that's above every name, the name that is going to be hailed for eternity. It's, it's unimaginable. But that, that name has been, you could say, placed upon us. And we are Jesus people. That was what they used to call them back in the early 70s and late 60s of people that were getting converted. They were Jesus people. That's a good expression to describe who we are. We're Jesus people. Now that doesn't mean we're freakish, that we're cuckoo, that we come across as banana heads and nutballs and fruitcakes and all that kind of stuff. I think we need to have a degree of integrity and dignity as Christians. Yes, we are fools for Christ's sake, but at the same time, Paul talks about that for your, for your sake, I'm sober. In other words, he wanted to, that David before the Lord, he danced crazily, remember? And, and his wife, Michal, looked at him and called him a madman and a fool, and he was exposing himself and all this kind of thing. And he says, no, I was doing this as unto the Lord. So we need to be careful when we are trying to do something as unto the Lord, and yet at the same time, we want to be able to be accommodating and not compromising, but we need to know the circles that we move in. When you're with family members, when you're with a gathering of business people in your company, how do you relate to them? You want to be able to come across in a way that's with integrity, that's worthy of praise to the name of the Lord because of the way in which you can conduct yourself in an environment like that. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed is the name of the Lord. We need to have names. Each of us, a name that, and again, it's not, a, it's not for proudness. It's not to get a feather in our cap. It's not to get a star for a name. But the name that we're really representing is the name of the Lord Jesus. And if our names are put up there, what comes to people's minds? And you know, 
again, as Christians, if we have things in our past, and I may know about somebody's, I praise God, I can say, he's a new creation in Christ. Some people have tried to put my, when I was first saved, they tried to bring up my past into my present. And I said, it's all gone. It's all been taken care of. Jesus settled that at the cross. Now I'm a new creation in him. In the life that I live, I live now by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You could say, this is my birth. I'm just born. This is my life that I'm now living. And this is what I want to be accountable for. In the past, granted, Jesus made himself accountable for my sins. I committed, I am worthy of judgment, but Jesus said, I'm going to take the punishment of his sins and her sins and your sins. And praise God, they are gone. And now the Lord says, I'm putting my name upon you and might you walk worthy of me. And one of the ways we can do that is our heart being made better by going into the house of mourning, even, though, even into a, a, a season of gloom. I don't want to say season making it like gloom and doom and you know, we're not bummed out. We're not unhappy people. We get a lot to be happy and thankful for. But again, let's not be frivolous. Let's, let's be sober-minded, grave. Not people that are superficial and just live on the surface, but we think more deeply. And those are the things that are going to strengthen the heart. And out of the heart are the issues of life. So if I can have my heart strengthened inwardly, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. So we want to keep our heart in a way that's God-honoring so that we can exalt the name of the Lord Jesus, that his reputation can be heightened, and that when people see me, they take knowledge, like, it, like of the early apostles, that they had been with Jesus. So we want people to see Jesus in us, not just by what we say, but as that verse in Titus says, by our deeds and the way we live. May the Lord bless his word. Let's close in prayer before we have our final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel that ever saved us and washed us and brought us up out of a horrible pit and made us new creations. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live for your glory and honor. Give us, O Lord, a spirit that will truly honor your name, that we would humble ourselves, that we would learn from you, Lord. Thank you that your whole scriptures, Father, are for us the beginning to the end, the book of Ecclesiastes, as well as the book of Revelation. All these portions, Lord, are set for our good. Make us, Lord, to be readers of the word, be blessed in the word, and own the word, and live the word, and show forth the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to those around us. So, Father, hear our praise and glory and worship that we offer to you as we give you thanks in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close with this.